0: Editor in chief at the New Books Network, and just a warning about the following interview. We had a bad phone connection, and so the audio is a little bit rough. But in any case, I hope that you enjoy the interview. Here it is
2: Hello, and welcome to New Books and Technology. I am your host, Jasmine McNeely. So, data or big data. Right, We've all heard the buzzword, we've heard critiques, we've heard how fabulous it is, we've heard some problems that may arise with all this data that's around now. But how can a city use data to help serve its constituents? That's exactly what the authors of The Responsive City, Engaging Communities Through Data Smart Governance, wrote about. And the authors are Stephen Goldsmith and Susan Crawford both at Harvard University, and they're on the show today. So thank you both for appearing on the show. One of the first things that we asked on New Books in Technology is just about you all's background, particularly your background with the subject matter that you've written on. So the book is The Responsive City, Engaging Communities Through Data Smart Governance. Please just tell us a little bit about yourself. You
0: want to go first? Okay. No, I think think you should. Well, I was... uh, uh,
1: First, a district attorney a long time ago using uh, data for purposes of both managing the office and uh, looking at offenders and victims and programs at work, and then a mayor in Indianapolis uh, yeah, doing much of the same for a broader array of social services. And then also a uh, deputy mayor of New York where I tried to set up a data analytics center uh, oh, about three plus years ago. And so uh, that's coupled with the teaching we do. Uh, 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 that looks at how to more effectively deliver public services. And we run a project at Harvard called Data Smart Cities, where over the last couple of years we've been uh, examining efforts by cities around the world, but particularly in the U.S., to use data more effectively for a range of uh, issues we'll talk about. But basically the the background here is that the Ash Center at Harvard and... Uh, The practical experience that Susan and I have has all been at the intersection of innovation, technology and better governance. Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm Susan Crawford and my background is in law. I uh, teach communications law and internet policy. I've been quite involved in communications policy on a global level and also here in the United States. And I work with students who are very interested in serving in local government, and we work on projects together for City Hall here in Boston, and I write a lot about uh, the use of data
2: by local government. Well, the book is called The Responsive City. Perhaps you could tell the audience what is a responsive city.
1: Yeah, well, let me, uh, yesterday we had an interesting conversation with a large group of Harvard students where uh, Susan, helpfully distinguished, I think, between a, a, a data smart city and a responsive city. So let me kind of answer your question by kind of queuing up that response, Susan, from last night, which I thought was particularly effective.
0: Well, it, it is important that the book's title is The Responsive City. There's been a lot of talk about smart cities around the world um, where you would fully instrument the city, uh, which means uh, having lots of sensors on infrastructure and street escapes and collects information, which then would help you, in a sense, automate decisions about the how the city allocates its resources and uh, prioritizes its steps as a governing body. And that's uh, that's been a very interesting development over the last ten years. Responsive adds an element of policy prudence, human intervention to that equation. So yes, sensors, yes fiber. Yes, lots of data being collected, but the city is not only uh, just absorbing data, but also listening to citizens, finding ways to help give them voice in complicated policy processes, and thinking thoughtfully itself about the best ways to um, structure the use of data and use the city's own wisdom in making decisions. So responsive means taking advantage of the interactivity of the Internet, not not just broadcast, not just dumb collection, but also two-way conversation, in a sense, about the city. Streamlined, you can't have every voice yelling at the city simultaneously, but you can use the graphic network screen to help uh, groups have voice, um, make collective decisions, and visualize uh, how the city is doing.
2: So it's not really just about uh, collection of data, but it's about the actual access to the data as well as the interpretation of that data for governments and citizens to be engaged and make change.
1: Well, we fundamentally look at kind of the intersection of two issues that that Susan summarized uh, indirectly a minute ago, right? One is that governments have a number... Their their IT systems are transaction systems, and in those transactions, there's a wealth of information that generally is underutilized and under-leveraged for purposes of solving problems, of identifying outliers, of predicting problems and solving them before they occur. And so how one uses that data in order to be more responsive and more proactive instead of reactive and more personalized in delivering services. Then there's another set of data that that is swirling around in the community, right, that Social media and the like, and and how does one curate and organize that to anticipate and understand the needs of the community? So, if you take a government, uh, uh, a group of government employees whose general operation is always routine and rule driven, you empower them with information, you support them with decision support tools, you incorporate the wisdom of the community through social media, then they will be more responsive instead of the way they act now, which is more. Rural driven and routine.
2: Mm -hmm. So, does Data Smart Governments and and the responsive city look different for uh, not as urban environments? So, a lot of the cities that are talked about in the book are very, very urban Boston, Rio, New York City, Chicago, and Chennai. Austin as well. Very urban. But what about uh, not as urban cities or even rural cities? Would those have the same uh, kinds of perhaps outcomes uh, or or issues that they face?
1: Well, I think there's a couple ways to think about this, at least from my perspective. One, if if your town is small enough, you're in the retail government anyway, right? You see people, you touch them. You're the part-time mayor or the city councilor. You 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 pick up knowledge and you operationalize that and you use your common sense. As the city gets bigger, it's less the retail connections between government and the citizens are, are are less, and therefore the data tools are more important for purposes of actually staying in touch. So. At, at one level, what we're trying to do is make urban government operate at more of a retail sense you'd find in a, in a small account. In between, though, there's a large numbers of cities that are mid-sized mm-hmm. that um, that I think Susan uh, perhaps is more insight in this than I do because of her, her broadband work. But who can use you know shared services. They can buy uh, uh, they can buy tools off the cloud, right? And they can they can have take advantage of the the best of these uh, technology tools and the best of these open-source apps and drive them into their communities if they have the right sort of, uh, of access.
0: For example, Jasmine, there you are in Lexington, Kentucky, and one of the people we profile in the book is Mike Flowers from New York City and his protege, Chris Corcoran, is now in Lexington mm-hmm. trying to do the things that Mike was doing with analytics on a smaller scale, but looking uh, to... Either, apparently, the largest... Uh, category of complaint in Lexington has to do with garbage collection. <laughs> and so if the city knew more about where those garbage trucks were, when, and could you know map neighborhood complaints against their available resources and maybe target those resources more intelligently, that could have a major effect. And that's a uh, that's a spillover of work from a very large city that it now as things become cheaper and cheaper, data storage, uh, data collection, uh, communication, uh, a city like Lexington can take on what New York City does.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, in the book, we we talk about a couple of different, um, you talk about a couple of different, um, I guess, groups. I would label them government as a whole, but then um People or the constituents of government, but also then the government workers. And I was just wondering, um, when you have access to data, just a huge mass of data, particularly with respect to workers, and the data is metrics of how they're doing. Does data then become like uh, television? So when someone appears on television, say a reality show, um, they act differently, so to speak, than when they they would when they're not being. Record it. So, does data make workers, for instance, and government as well, act differently because it's now accessible to its constituents?
1: Well, I think there's, uh, a, there's a couple ways that the answer to that is emphatically yes, right. One, uh, uh, Susan in particular, chronicles in the uh, in the book about the use of apps in Boston, which, oh, well, Susan, in terms of of the citizens reporting. And, uh, and, the, and the connection between the worker and the citizen. But it, uh, let me start at a, at a more abstract level first, which is that that if we, don't, we're not our goal is not just to drive massive amounts of information to uh, a, a field-based employee and ask that him or her to make the best of it. The goal mm-hmm. is to organize the data, drive it to the uh, iPad tablet, to do it with decision support tools that help the worker. They use his or her discretion to solve a problem, like right? to solve a problem about a battered child, to solve a problem about why this pothole keeps occurring, to solve a problem about a healthcare issue. So, so I think I view this as uh, the, 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 probably the most important opportunity in a hundred years to reengage the public employee in responsiveness, meaning how do I solve a problem, not how do I just do a routine activity? Mm-hmm. That's one way to answer it. And Susan, I think the Boston examples you have are another
0: way to answer the question. Yeah, I, I think that's true that w- we see the ability of using... Um, uh, so The story told in the book is about Citizens Connect, uh, the right. very first mobile app that gave access to 311 system here in Boston um, to people over a, a smartphone. And uh, what what people... Found, uh, as we documented the chapter, is that citizens really felt engaged by this, that it helped the city feel trusted by its citizens, and uh, led to a, a greater feeling of autonomy and agency in the citizens using it. And as Steve mentioned, uh, an app called City Worker allows um, the pothole public works guy to manage his own work stream. Uh, we, there are lots of fervent people in local governments who are their work want to do their very best. And these tools actually make it possible for them to operate with discretion and autonomy and a sense of dignity and uh, to be acknowledged by the public that we've never had before. And uh, really, sort of kindness and generosity will trump contempt and hostility every time. And technology can actually help build the a, a more authentic, genuine relationship among citizens and workers than we've ever seen.
2: Right. No, I, I remember the story, the um, Citizens Connect app as, as well as the the City Workers app. And one of the, the issues was that um, they wanted to make it a little more uh, analytics or metrics based for the city workers so they'll know where they are throughout the month. Um, as far as what they're how they're progressing with um, their various projects or problems that they need to solve, but I was just wondering that if there's too much emphasis on say metrics like that, do we get a situation where um, people are just not so much um, fulfilling what they need to do, but doing it in a, a surface level? where it's not actually the engagement that you're seeking with between, say, a city worker and the constituents who are reporting a problem. I don't know if that is actually a bad problem to have as long as the work gets done, but it it was just a a question that that popped into my mind.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I I think that what needs to happen is for everybody to become more literate in Mm -hmm. all of this. Um, and for the data being collected to be uh, understood in terms of uh, the humans who it affects. So you and I were chatting about this before Steve got online, that... data, it doesn't make decisions by itself. So always putting data in context about what a worker's been up to, always being sure to look for performance metrics that measure outcomes rather than just outputs, and uh, hoping for uh, the use of data to amplify good behavior by government workers rather than get everybody into new silos now formed by data categories.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, We we envision that the data will Make the work, help the worker exercise his or her discretion, not that it will blindly take them down a set of kind of computerized generated rules. In fact, we think the opposite is true today, right? The people that work inside these silos, as Susan mentioned, in very definitive activities, and this will help them actually work better and smarter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, in the chapter, the second chapter, the um one of the stories in or case studies in that chapter deals with Chicago and um, how a startup kind of data startup has helped a community group be able to be more engaged um, and collect data using technological tools. So one of the problems that the The community group had was that they didn't have necessarily the tools to uh, be engaged. And I was just wondering then, what is or can be the effect of um, the constituents' lack of, say, internet access or smartphones or whatever on the responsiveness of the government?
0: Well, it's an important point, and uh, one of the encouraging things along those lines is that smartphone penetration is is pretty high Mm -hmm. and adoption is pretty high. So many cities around the world can now assume the presence of phones in citizens' hands, and that gives a tremendous opportunity to open a window uh, between constituents and the city, and to have a much richer back and forth. Uh, That being said, can't deny that you know a lot of homeless people don't have phones, and uh, we're going to need to make sure that. Um, digital literacy is high, and that cheap, ubiquitous connectivity is in every city. Um, And that's one of the layers of a responsive city. It's essential to the whole thing, working well for everyone. It's like electricity or clean water. We'll get there eventually. We're not quite there yet, but even now, we can assume pretty high usage of phone-like devices.
2: So you you just mentioned layers, Susan. And I was wondering, perhaps mm-hmm. you could explain what are some of the other layers uh, of a responsive city?
0: Well, I think Steve can speak about this uh, even more effectively. But my vision is that uh, fires at the bottom, uh, then uh, sensors become cheaper. They can be helping you monitor your crumbling bridges so you know which ones need to be fixed next. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And looking at your air quality and noise and other elements of the city to help you understand how the city's doing, so sensors above the fiber. Um, Open data platforms are increasingly important for uh, the public to understand what what data is being collected and used, but also for new businesses to be formed using that data and for accountability in government to be easy. Um, Algorithms chew through that data and help us make predictions about uh, where to target resources most effectively, looking for leading indicators of things like well-being or where inspections could be best targeted. And then uh, screens make all of this visible to citizens, either in the hands of uh, people walking around on their smartphones or, as they become cheaper and cheaper, on the walls of buildings um, displaying uh, indicators about how the neighborhood's doing. The neighborhood can actually be visible to itself for the first time. Well, the, um, I mean, we can think about
1: responsiveness in, in many ways, right? One is uh, responsive because the citizens can communicate more directly with a public employee, right? That there is a, you know, D.C., we talked about Washington, D.C.'s uh, uh, effort to allow uh, residents to kind of grade their experiences with a public employee. To have uh, uh, co- collaborations that are organized around social media that help plan your park or solve your problem. A conjunction between a collaboration between a public employee and and a group of residents. Right? We have the kind of crowdsourcing of solutions. We have the fact that employees of the, of the government now can identify the outliers. The businesses that are going to cause trouble. The restaurants that are going to. Uh, have bacteria in their food, and and through data uh, uh, provide fast tracking for good good actors, and concentrate resources on the monitoring of bad actors. All of that makes government more responsive.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, one of the questions I asked uh, Susan while um, we were talking earlier is about issues that that come up with. Massive amounts of data, and one of those issues is privacy privacy related to the constituents, privacy related to um, where um, data is and who who is available to so I was wondering um, what uh, frameworks cities need to either erect or use to help protect the privacy of both their constituents and the city workers with respect to this data?
0: Well, right at the moment, we're having a pretty unsophisticated conversation about that, both at a national level and in cities, where there are just two poles, people who are extremely anxious about any collection of data on the one hand, and then people who... Um, especially the more technocratic among us who say, well, data will just solve problems and uh, let's let's collect it all and use it all. It's going to benefit everybody. Clearly, there's an answer in the middle. And uh, in the case of Indiana, for example, um, which profiled several places in the book, they're really thinking hard about the privacy um, rules that should attend the collection of data. My own view on all of this is that the data is going to be collected. What needs to be put in place our guidelines about forensic use who gets to have access to it actually after it exists and very careful business rule creation uh, need to make sure that security is adequate for the data once it's collected um, but there's no doubt but that we need a, a serious conversation about privacy what I don't want to have happen is for the great benefits of the responsive city to be cut off before we see them and um, because of concerns about misuse of data. That would be tremendously short-sighted. There are all kinds of uses of transportation, infrastructure, other data that will have immediate payoff for citizens. We sh- we can't lose that.
1: Okay. So I think basically we've been uh yeah, I think what we've been arguing about and discussing, right, is, 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 is the need to acknowledge that the privacy issues are serious issues, right? They need to be dealt with in a serious way. Cities and states need to have policy on, on anonymized data, who has access to what type of individual data, how does the data stored, um, what, what we think is it would be a b- bad idea would be for the for the conversation to move to one side or the other, right? The side that says we can't use any data because we have privacy issues or a conversation that says um, we don't have to worry about privacy issues because our data is so important. So an intentional set of policies implemented and enforced uh, is a good uh, condition preceding to a widespread data analytics effort on the part of the city or the state. Mm-hmm.
2: So what's ahead for cities with respect to data, yeah. respect to responsiveness, um, with respect to uh, the use of new technologies and yeah. the creations of that infrastructure.
1: Yeah. So let me let me answer, uh, and then I'm going to hop off and, and, uh, and let Susan answer if that's okay. Okay. Um, so I, so we just barely scratched the surface, right? the three years since I was uh, Deputy Mayor of New York till now there's been just a a huge advance in data mining tools and the sophistication of these approaches and the interest of it and the the conversation about it is all uh, dramatically improved, yet it's still relatively immature. So we need to change the way government operates so that it gives employees more discretion. We need to have more leadership like that, which we've seen in Boston, New York, Chicago, and Indiana that says that we're going to break down these vertical, uh, vertical silos and allow data opportunities Across the agencies so we can see well what's going on, uh, and that, that those are more data analytics centers like the one that is in Indiana, like the one that's in Chicago. We're gonna, we're gonna see more, uh, decision support tools on the part of government workers who, who get the data in a way that's more usable and helps to solve problems and connect employee, and connect the public, uh, uh, citizens more effectively, right? So, so I, I think what we'll see in the future, uh, is a, if we have leadership, there's a dramatic enhancement of the effectiveness of government, its ability to connect to its citizens, and the resulting responsiveness that comes from it.
0: Mm-hmm. What he
2: said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> great, great. Well, uh, you know, thank you both for agreeing to speak with New Books and Technology. It's been a pleasure. The book is The Responsive City, Engaging Communities Through Data Smart Governance, available everywhere now, right? Yeah, Everywhere online. Everywhere online. Great. Um, so <laughs> that has been the podcast. Thank you very much.